Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show, where we aim to touch, move, and inspire you every single week. Really? We're really going to introduce our own show? Maybe we should leave it to the pro. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. One second, ladies. Here we go. Sarah Maxwell and Natalie Cook are experts in visualization and deliberate use of the law of attraction. As dynamic world athletes representing Canada and Australia in beach volleyball, they honed in on achievement at the highest level. Winning an Olympic gold medal on her home beach of Bondi is a pinnacle example. Their powerful techniques transmute the spiritual to the tangible, allowing thousands of their community members to bring their vision boards to life. Recently, they've taken their expertise on the road as the full-time family, where they inspire, coach, and lead people to create their unique, deliberate family life using a simplified three-step process. Welcome to the Nat and Sarah Show. Join us for twice-weekly episodes. Each week, Nat and Sarah will teach us how to deliberately create results in all areas of life using their unique three-step process. Not only that, they'll also sit down with some of their favorite high achievers who have manifested what most merely dream about. Are you a member of the community? Go to bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal to follow along with each workshop style teaching episode and get ready to take action on your inspirations. Today, we continue the conversation with a humanitarian. I use that word to define David Wood in its typical use, but it's so much more than this when I'm talking about him. He is a human connecting expert at the highest level, like human-itarian. I have no idea what itarian means, but just get it, people. Get it. It's human. Um, Growing up in the UK in a very tumultuous environment with his military father who left his mother for her best friend. So you can all imagine how that went down. His family became ward of the state, and he couldn't wait to leave school and escape his toxic upbringing. His inner hustler was born as a means of surviving his life, whether it was raising guinea pigs or talking his way into sweeping chimneys or dating older women to help him grow up. He always found a way to move his life forward. It wasn't until he traveled to Tunisia with his dart team. Like, by the way, you guys, I can't make this up. Like, who's on a dart team? Well, he decided to not come home, but instead bounce around the globe for the next 11 years, where he turned his perpetual fear not in the stomach into a practice of fearless trust in himself. A deep knowing that no situation was too big or too scary for him. He has since translated that into every area of his life, including leading T. Harv Ecker personal development courses, starting his own network marketing company, building and selling a variety of million-dollar businesses, and taking a team up the roof of Africa to summit Kilimanjaro. His life has been so full of stories that will rock your imagination, and he now focuses on translating that experience to his two teenage, well, they're a bit over teenage now, but two kind of teenage sons with his divinely divorced ex-wife. Take that in, everybody. Divinely divorced. Living in Kelowna, Canada on a beautiful, expensive property overlooking the lake, he travels half the year, contributing to audiences around the world with his training, stories, and complete and utter adventurous spirit. There really is no one like him. Everyone is his best friend. Yet I choose to believe that Nat and I get a real slice of him. 
when he comes to our home and warms it up with his love and playful spirit. What I love most about this man is his genuine love and connection with all people. I'll share a little story about him so our community really gets a sense of how wild and awesome you really are, Mr. David Wood. So years ago, Nat and I stayed at David's Kelowna home at a, and at a local restaurant one night, we were out there to eat. He starts chatting up this couple as we stand up to leave. And they happen to be dressed in cow costumes. So that's totally, <laughs> yeah, he knows this has brought him right back. It's totally normal in David's world. Um, pretty much up his alley, actually. And so look, he ends up inviting this couple who apparently have been traveling across Canada in their car for months to come to his home for a meal and a shower. So he gives them his address and lo and behold, the next day they rock up. So we order Indian takeaway, but not before he invites them to shower in his glorious, huge, expensive bathroom overlooking the lake. It was a night to remember, clearly. I'm, I'm like, we're calling this right now. And this couple, we've stories about their travels and their adventures with us all. And I really got a sense that David T.S. Wood was giving back to the world that had invited him in so many times and cared for him when he had no stable place to lie his head at night. So David, I'm totally wanting to focus on this fearlessness today in this, in this chat. And like, I believe there's key lessons for anyone wanting to live their dream life. And I know it didn't really start out this way for you though. So do you mind sharing your tumultuous home that you grew up in and how this fostered your prowess as a hustler? Yeah, you know, first of all, that was the most beautiful introduction I've ever had. So let's start there. Someone who's really listened to someone's life and, you know, even down to the guinea pigs. I used to, I used to sell guinea, I used to breed and sell guinea pigs. And the first one I got, I actually, the first pair I got, I stole from the local park. I had to cut through wire and get them because I couldn't afford to buy them. <laughs> I just remembered that. So, so now I'm starting a call telling everyone that I'm a thief. How's that for a start? Oh, and, and guess what, guys? This is the start. There'll be more. He's going to bring more that you'll think, I don't know how to feel about this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, let's go back to that couple in the cow costume because, you know, it was <laughs> what, what I think was interesting. She was from a similar area you were. So you and her mm -hmm. really end up hitting it off, right? right? So it was like this wonderful listening to your sort of life through her. You're growing up through the stories you were telling her. It was amazing. So, and you remember why I invited them? I invited them because they smelled bad. <laughs> and I said, look guys, you need, you need a shower. It wasn't like you just, and I'm going to let you use my shower because you actually need one. And anyone who cares about you is going to let you smell better than you do currently. <laughs> so this is, okay. So, so wait, wait, I got to say a little more of this. So I love that you remembered that because she was, she was from Quebec where I was from, from the French part. And then Nat, this is so funny. Just as you left the room to order the Indian food, they start sharing stories about how at every hotel they steal everything so that they get like all the soaps. And um, I didn't take much notice of that, these stories they were sharing about how that's how they survive, right? That's what, that's how they roll. And all that was, look, she was just following their every move to make sure they didn't take anything from your place. Isn't that a classic? I know, I know, I know. And <laughs> I, you, when you said that, uh, in my shower, that was my master sleep where I sleep. So they were in my bedroom. And yeah. And oh, I, Nat you know, was I, losing you know, it. Not coping. I, I work on a thing called 100% trust 100% of the time. And if someone makes a mistake, then I still give them 100%. I, I practice immediate forgiveness and then I give them trust again. If people make the mistake a couple of times, then I have to sit them down and give them a little chat and just say, look, you know what? We're all making this up. So, because I just don't think that energy of distrusting 
you know, you see, I don't lock my doors at home, you know, and I invariably will leave my doors open, you know, during the night. I just don't think about it and I don't want to think about it. And it's, and it served me very, very well. And some people would say it's naive, but when you've lived like I have and, and you saw what happened, that turned into a magical memory that we both remember. And I've recalled it recently to someone, I was telling the same story. Um, and so that story has now been told probably twice in the last 30 days. And that's what great stories are. They're stories that will live with you forever. And that's one of those moments through trusting and through inviting, you get to share this. And we, we, we would laugh about it. And you know, the thing about that trip, that's where we did a crank call on my mom. Do you remember? You said, I said I could crank call anyone. And I crank called my mom and you even now are listening to me as I crank called my mom. And I got a hook, line and sinker. I pretended to be a, uh, do you remember that? I pretended to be a, uh, a telemarketer from, uh, from India. And, and I got her. She hung up three times before I managed to get her to speak to me. And in the end, I ended up calling a mudder. <laughs> Do you remember? <laughs> and you were laughing. That was the hardest crank call I ever done because you two were laughing so much. And you were like, you weren't laughing so she could hear. You were laughing so I could see you laughing. Oh, and that was hard. And so, anyway, what a great way to start a podcast. Is, <laughs> it's like, we're telling stories about people. It's like, yeah, that was great. I love you. Um, but okay, okay. That actually, hold Should on. We, that, that was a good beginning, actually, because practicing 100% trust in people. Um, and so- 100% of the time, 100% trust, 100% of the time, and then immediate forgiveness if someone screws up because you know that energy you carry when you hold on to things. And if, if, if one incident can turn your trust button off, let's call it, I've never called it that before, but I'll call it that now. Then you, know, you just walk through life looking for the wrong thing. And the, the part of the brain called the RAS, the reticular activating system, We'll find, if we, if, we, if we distrust, we're going to find lots of things to distrust. Mm. And if we trust, we're going to find lots of things to trust. And our RAS is programmed to, to, to point out the things that we think about on a consistent basis. So if I think about the world is trusting, I see opportunities of trusting people every single minute of every single day. And people trust me, you know, and it's just that. So it's not just that I trust them, people trust me. So people allow me into things that normally they wouldn't or they let me get away with things normally they don't, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's a funny thing, you know, it's a, it is reciprocity, but it's also, you, you asked the question about fearlessness, and there is a fearlessness component to trusting, you know, that you've just got to, you know, not just got to, you've got to choose, or you can choose to trust, and choosing to trust means that you're vulnerable, right? You're, 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 you're exposing yourself potentially, to people who aren't trustworthy. And what I found to my, my, again, after years and years, 107 countries or something I've traveled in, that I've never ever, but it's not true, a couple of times, I've been let down in that way. But this is how I learned to retrust, was when I was let down and think, well, do I wanna feel this way? Do I, wanna, do I wanna carry this energy? Do I wanna now be suspicious of all people because one guy was an idiot, right? And so I choose not to, right? Okay, I love you already because of this conversation. And it makes me want to know about your dad leaves your mom for her best friend, right? So let's talk about trust at the beginning of life. Did that have <laughs> you kind of like exposed to it straight away? Is that what kind of perturbated you out of how no, a lot of people no, live? No, no, no relationship no, there? Actually, there's, I don't normally tell this story, but I'll tell it to you because you bring it up, right? My dad, I was seven. My dad had, uh, he's still married to the same woman, Ingrid. So he left, um, he left my mom for Ingrid, who was my mom and her were, were you know, that was the only real friend she had in Germany. Uh, we were living in Germany at the time. Um, and um, my mom, she said, you, you've got to get him to stay. So I ran down the stairs. It was the three, we were on the third floor of an apartment building. 
I ran down behind him as a little seven-year-old begging him to stay. And then he gets in the car and drives away and we don't see him for, I didn't see him again until I was 15. Um, and, and so it was really, and it, so, and because my mom was so devastated, she became crazy. I mean, crazier than she already was. She became, and rightly so. And I, and I have no energy anymore. I mean, I've forgiven her and I love her and she did the best she can. I mean, but she went psychotic. Um, and if, because she was betrayed and we were also put into government housing. It was like a condemned building right after that because we had to be taken back by the British government because we were in Germany. So my dad's advice apparently, and my dad's 91. I just spoke to him. It was his birthday yesterday. So I just spoke to him yesterday and we, you know, we're, we're like great mates, really, really great mates. And, and I'll talk about parenting in a little bit, but, but that moment it created chaos. And I think I didn't trust anybody. I didn't, and I was very untrustworthy. I, I you know, back then survival meant, that, you know, as I grew up, I was stealing all the time. I was shoplifting all the time. I was lying all the time. I didn't know what trust was. I had no idea. It took me about 40 years to be able to really, 44 maybe, I was, no, not 40, I was about 40, 44, somewhere around that, where I started to learn that I, I could re, really recreate a world that I, you know, um, where, where trust was part of that. And that was like learning how to trust myself as well. Right. Oh. Um, and those years of travel, you know, 10 and a half years backpacking around the world with no money, it, you know, it, it really, it, it, it put me into a lot of situations where I had to start to really learn that I could handle anything. And uh, if I wanted something, I had to go after it, you know. So when I arrived in the country, I used to have this, this rule that I couldn't spend any money until I had a job and somewhere to live. But I was illegal everywhere. So I had to not only just get a job, I had to get a job that would pay me cash, which means people had to trust me very, very quickly. So, you know, and I wouldn't say that I was still the most trustworthy person on the planet, but I was getting there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because mostly, if you look at the studies, there was a study done with 10,000 people that showed that a normal person will tell three lies in a 10 minute conversation. And they show that the older, older people lie because they want to fit in. And younger people lie to break away from the tyranny of parents. Parents tell them what to do all the time or teachers tell them what to do. So, you know, we've got this sort of most people listening right now tell lies on a consistent basis. They don't mean to. Some are exaggerations, some are half-truths. You know, there's that little term. My mom used to use it all the time, little white lies, as if there's a lie that's good, right? <laughs> there's a little white, right? But it's like this. If, I, if, if you invite me for dinner and I just say, no, thanks, it sounds weird. Hey, Dave, do you want to come for dinner? No, thanks. Because we're, we're conditioned to give the little excuse that comes with, nah, you know, I got this thing. You know, we, we always feel like we have to justify mm. ourselves with these little half-truths if we don't want to do something, right? Mm. Sorry, we went a long way from... No, I want to go... Right? No, I, it was exactly what I wanted, though, because I want people to hear what you're saying on the context of trusting people 100% and 100% of the time wasn't always like that. You know, it was a real journey of distrust and doing things that skated the line the whole time to survive. So well, I mean I, I wasn't I wasn't skating the line. I was jumping over the line. You know, I was you know because I remember when, when I when I first left home, right, I was fifteen and I worked as a tailor shop. I moved up north in the north of England. I lived on a road called Annelby Road in Hull. And it, they, they speak like this all up in all mate. Like that. All right. Like all right. It was like that, right? But it was like the, there were more murders on Annelby Road than anywhere else in England at the time. So it was one of those really dark. And I, I lived with a guy called Paul Grumbaum. And, you know, we could just afford the rent. And I was working full time. And I was getting, because I was working in a tailor shop, I got commissions on certain things I sold. So I became really good at selling things that made me more money. Mm. But I still could only afford my bus fare and my rent. 
Um, and so I used to steal food every single day. And I was in a three-piece suit. Back then, I used to wear a three-piece suit to work. And I would still go shoplifting for food. <laughs> so, so, and so, I mean, shoplifting for me was, was a, a necessity at that time. And later on, it became a sport. <laughs> yeah, I was good. Okay, I want to ask that, actually. Because when you talk about necessity, hustling, surviving, and then a sport, does morality come into it? It might not need to. Like, what's, do you feel um, a shift the way you live now, like, how do you see, cause you know, sometimes in life people, there's a lot of morality around and judgment and righteousness. How do you see that? Cause of the way you grew up and what you had to do to survive? Well, I think it's like, you know, and I think it's such a beautiful question because, you know, morality is something, especially if you use morality, I mean, we'd have to define, everyone would have to define it on their own terms. What does it mean to them? Like judgment. I mean, judgment, most people who judge are highly judgmental of themselves. So, you know, it's almost impossible. You've seen, you've lived with me and you, you know, you understand how I get up, how I wake up, how I talk to people, right? I don't judge people, but I don't judge myself either. I realized that I did the best I could along the way. Am I sorry for some of the things I did? Of course, but, and, and, you know, but also that experience has given me a sense of the world that may, maybe if I hadn't gone down that road, if I hadn't been you know, caught up in drugs and alcohol and stealing and lying and all that kind of stuff. I wouldn't be able to sit here today and be, I think, the, the kind of person I am today, which is, again, immediate forgiveness. Because, I mean, judgment is so easy to judge. If you make a mistake or if you say something I don't like, I can internalize it and judge you for it. Or I could have the courage to come say, Sarah, can we talk? There's just something you said that's really I'd like to talk about because I value our friendship. And my intention is that after this conversation that you and I are much closer because of this. That's how I deal with everything. I'll deal with it straight on. And I'm going to tell you why. I always set the intention. Like, that's why I love conflict. You know, I love, you know, and I have an acronym, Leaders Resolve Conflict. And the L stands for lead with intention. So every conversation I'm very careful with because it's like, hey, I, my intention is to blah, blah, blah. And if you know the intention, then you could choose, yeah, okay, let's talk about it. And because I don't come with judgment, I just come with, look, this is how I understood this. Um, can we, and you said, well, I didn't mean that at all. I said, yeah, okay, great. I just want to share with you that I, I, I misunderstood you. And yeah, perfect. And give you a hug, kiss and move on and let it go. And the whole idea of letting things go is a practice that's so challenging in the beginning just to let something go and not think about it anymore. That's mm. a real practice and it's really hard to do. Mm, beautiful. Don't talk too much about this conflict resolution stuff because I'm going to do a whole other show with you on that, just so you know, because that has changed let's, my life. Let's do that, and he just let's, let's, started to dive there. So don't dive yet. Pull, pull back okay. just for a sec. So you said something about how you don't judge people. So if you're approaching someone, and I've seen you do this with the guy that comes over to your house to help you with the pool, I've seen you do this over and over again with the people in the cow costumes. If you don't have a judgment filter, when you're looking at another human being, what's your kind of mantra? Like, how do you see that situation? How do you engage? Fasc fa fascination. Mm -hmm. So it's curiosity. So the idea is, you know, why, <laughs> hey, why a cow costume, right? So instead of, look at those idiots in a cow costume, it's like, wow, you don't see people in cow costumes very often, <laughs> right? <laughs> so for me, it's just fascination, right? And, and then when I smelled them, as we talk, I asked them. So that was the curiosity. The fascination was, hey, why are you wearing cow costumes? And it was just outside the restaurant, I believe, is where we met them, not inside the restaurant. Okay, and yeah. we were coming out, I believe. And so they had just gone to this festival or something, or, or they'd been somewhere, and they were wearing this cow costume, right? And so as I talked to them, that's when I could smell their body odor. And that's why I thought, well, geez, you know what? And then they told us they were living in a car, and they'd been living in a car crossing Canada um, mm -hmm. for months. 
and kind of like, you know, fine. And they were picking, I think they were, they were in Kelowna to do some fruit picking, if I remember the story. And that's the other thing is to really remember when you meet people is yeah. like you do, you know, you really sort of remember the story versus just casually meeting and then and not even thinking about them again. I mean, if I'm going to walk up to someone, then I'm, I want to be fascinated or curious about who they are and their story because everyone has one. And, and it, and end up again, you know, listening to you talk about your childhood growing up in Quebec and stuff like that. That was the real highlight for me because, you know, there was a lot of distrust on that part and that turned out to be one of these great evenings. And as I, I remember, as we walked them up and said goodbye, you know, there was this beautiful, wow, that was amazing. What a great night. So from the suspicion of Nat in the beginning sure. to this, wow, what a great night, you know, and that's that fascination part, right? Absolutely. It's, and it's such a great way to get to know the people in your life more, you know, Inter like put you in different kinds of situations. I think you're the king of that. You've put me personally from a business perspective in many different situations, which has allowed me to grow. And I want to know how you, um, how you've seen that connecting and really being fascinated with people has allowed you to be uber successful in the business world. Cause there's such a connection and <laughs> there's such a connection um, that I think people don't always make. Well, that's that fearlessness again, you know, like, cause when you walk into situations um, and I work with billionaires and, you know, I know multimillionaires and I work with people who have no money. Right. So for me, it's the full range, but I also understand cause I live without money for so long and now I'm a multimillionaire. I understand what that feels like too. So I have, but fearlessness means I walk in and it's like, I, I go in with the intention of getting to know people regardless of their status regardless of, and when they're powerful if you know if we call business powerful if someone has the, the ability to write any big check i find that i can wander in and get very very close to people because i use humor or fearlessness i hug right away so i do I, a lot of people are a little bit rocked when i first walk in because i don't play by any rules and i kind of make them up and it's refreshing because there are a lot of people when they walk up to someone especially someone famous or you know um, and Jack Canfield, who wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul, is a, good, is a great story because I remember sitting there one day and I was doing my podcast and I remember saying, you know, I've just decided I'm going to become friends with blah, blah, blah. You know, and I, I, and I set out this intention that I wanted to become friends with him. And lo and behold, I end up in his kitchen. When I walk into his house for the first time, I just, his wife Inga is making dinner and I start cooking with her. And then he's there with his good friend Stuart. And, and so there's two guys and there's me now cooking. And I wander into the fridge and I bring out the wine and I start pouring wine. So I act like the host. So here I am taking over the whole, the whole place. And Inga's having a blast because I'm really, you know, I love cooking, you know. And, and so now I've just walked into their house and immediately behaved like I want people to behave at my house as if they're at home. And so what would I do at home? I just help out. I'd help wash up. I'd help clean. I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be wait to be invited to go to the fridge. I'd just go in the fridge you know, and then start behaving that way. And that launched a friendship of Jack and I, where we ended up becoming business partners, but it all stemmed down from that. And when I left, I remember he, he was struck by when I, when I walk into someone's house for the very first time and I spent the night there, I left the bedroom exactly as I found it. Everything was exactly as the bedroom was made perfectly. So I made the bed perfectly and I put the cushions back exactly as they were. And I wrote a two page thank you letter and left it on the bed. And that struck him. And he, he so a year later, he's like, I can't believe that that letter was so beautiful and you sat for so long and wrote thank you. And it was like so meaningful. And you, I, I sort of relived the night and I, and I talked about my, you know, uh, the vision I had for our friendship and everything else like that. Just this, but just left and disappeared without him knowing. I didn't say goodbye because I got up really, really early. So I was just disappeared. 
from his life when the bed was, it looked like it had never been in there. And there's this beautiful letter waiting. And it's almost like a little surreal, right? The guy comes in, takes over, cooks, cleans, pours the wine, and then disappears like he was never there. And I mean, and that's kind of how I live. It's just like, you know, being hyper aware of people, right? And being fearless in my approach to them because they can say, what are you doing? Get out of my fridge. And then I'd be thinking, well, I'm in the wrong freaking house. Yeah, if this is how they're going to behave, then why do I want to be here anyway? I obviously chose the wrong intention because this ain't going to work for me if I can't behave like, you know, authentically how I am, mm-hmm. right? And you see me without your house. I've come to your house I was cooked, like, do I share breakfast. that experience? Like I've had that experience when I had had Jordan, you'd been to our house before and you just stepped right in and started making the meal and you were cutting the sweet potato. I remember this and you, you did the whole thing and it was just um, that and, and the letter on the bed. And, and it's like life is in the details. Um, you know, those little moments where people of thoughtfulness and um, the thing about that I want to say here about you being in our home, what I really got was, you know, Nat and I joke that we're a bit like grandmas. We go to bed early. And so when you're at our house, you, play board games with us. You know, I know you can stay up till all hours and you can do that with people when that's what's going on, but you just have this ability to adapt um, and be in people's world. And um, yeah, I think that's a real gift as well. Like an understanding of how things are unfolding. And, and I know that, you know, part of that was maybe that trip to Tunisia that I mentioned in the intro where you were on a darts team and you're, there you are in the middle of, Africa. Um, how did that experience where you ended up traveling for 11 years, how did that help you be more adaptive and more fearless? Well, I mean, I was terrified. <laughs> I remember when the, the guys left and I was standing there and I was just terrified. I didn't know what to do. And I was wearing back then, cause this is 40 years ago. I was wearing little short shorts with frayed edges. Cause I mean, I grew up, I mean, I was a window cleaner at the time and a chimney sweep, as you talked about. And, you know, so I had these little short shorts, really tight short shorts from that era, because you think that this is late 70s, right? And I was wearing a very, very tight red muscle shirt, or you call it a wife beater, I think. <laughs> That's a terrible, terrible name. But, you know, there's this, there I am standing out in a Muslim country. I didn't even know it was a Muslim country. In fact, I didn't even know where Tunisia, Tunisia was. And some of the people listening probably don't have any idea where Tunisia is, but it's in North Africa. So I was actually just going to say, is it in Africa as I just proclaimed that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. it's like North Africa, Egypt, Tunisia, Morocco, Algeria, they're all in sort of the northern part of Africa. Mm-hmm. And so here I am in North Africa in a Muslim country. Um, and everyone's hostile because I'm the way I'm dressed. I'm actually projecting this complete disrespect out. And what I'm getting back is hostility from everyone around me. And I didn't know it at the time. It took me years to figure that one out. But you know, what I learned, it took about a year for the fear to subside. And I was living in Israel at the time. And Israel is kind of an interesting country because, you know, the, the Jews of the diaspora, the people who, who lived outside of uh, Israel, uh, were all told they could come home. And that there was a place for every Jew in the world. And so Jews came from all over the world, bringing their cultures with them. So, you know, so they could be African Jews or they could be, you know, they could be, um, you know, Australian Jews or British Jews or Swiss Jews or whatever. And everyone has a different type of culture. So that was interesting just to sort of be exposed to so many different types of culture in one country. And, you know, that's where I started to realize that. And I think it was subconscious at first. I don't, now I'm conscious. So this was really a subconscious or a non-conscious approach to life 
was I started to realize that I could weave. And I, I, if we talk about energy archetypes, and I've actually been talking about this a lot this last couple of weeks. So I've just done three programs in a row here. And uh, my last one was for just a group of women. But I talk about the, the magician. So a magician energy, all right? So you've got the warrior energy. You've got the wizard energy. You've got the lover energy. And you've got the king queen energy, which is the leadership. Leadership, love is all about passion. You know, the wizard is all about flow, ease, grace. And then the warrior is force, you know, keeping your word. It's about, you know, high integrity and honor. So when I combine those four archetypes together, I was flowing in the wizard. And so the wizard was, I was adaptable because, you know, I would have to be, because if I'm walking into a world, into a country, and, and I, from, from nothing and no, I don't know anybody, I have to create connection. I have to create work. I have to create money. I have to create a life immediately. So I became very, very adaptable, like you talked about adaptability, but then flowing with what was happening instead of resisting what's happening and, and, and add, adding to. The other thing is I think that I was conscious or non-conscious of, but became conscious of, is that I could always add value in everything I did. So if I was like, even when I cleaned rooms, I mean, I was, I, I was a, my first job in Canada was cleaning rooms um, at a hotel called the Admiral Hotel. And I think Gene and Alan still own that place. This would have been in 19, 1990. Um, but I walk in there and, uh, and first, first conversation, you know, they, you, I, I think, again, non-consciously looking for common ground. And I only have this kind of moment in time where they have to believe in me and say yes. And remember, I don't have a work permit. And, and so I'm talking to them. And I said, hey, listen, I'd be willing to work for free if you give me somewhere to live and, uh, and a way to get around. So he ended up letting me live on his sailboat, which was in this gorgeous marina called Oak Bay Marina in Victoria, and gave me his bike. So now I have a bike and I have somewhere to live on this beautiful sailboat. And I just sailed across the Atlantic. So here I am kind of living on a boat. And so for me, that was one of the highlights is living on boats. You know, I lived on a boat for a year. And so, so here it is. And then after working my butt off for seven days, and I worked harder and the rooms were cleaner and I just went in there with an approach and a passion and I was so fun to be around. So I'd walk in, hey, Gene, hey, Alan, give me a big hug, go to work. And I left work with this positive energy and they fell in love with this. It was like they never had a cleaner who had so much passion. So then I went to them and said, listen, I've got to leave. I'm sorry. And they say, why? I said, well, I just need to make money as well. Don't worry, we'll pay you. And that's kind of how I would do it. So I would prove to them <laughs> that I could do the job. I would do it better than anyone else had ever done it. And all you do is you model success. And I still do that in business. Look for the person who's doing the best job. Model what they do and then add a little bit more flavor. And that's what I ended up working with T. Harvecker because mm -hmm. I became his, I volunteered and I became his training assistant. And I watched what everyone was doing. And then I added another three layers. And he just started to notice who is this guy and why is everything better than it was before? Right. And it was just that hyper awareness. Again, not really trying to take anything because I wasn't mm -hmm. really trying to take, but giving everything I could and being ultra positive and, and not sort of bringing any kind of negative energy into a space. And people are so refreshed by it that, you know, and I always say that if you've got a shitty job, if you're, if you're working right now, you don't like your job, start loving it. Go there with all the passion and watch what happens over a short period of time. You're going to find out either you're going to get a promotion or somebody's going to come and snag you away from it and say, look, I love your energy. Would you come work for us? Because you show up with this, this kind of energy and this passion for life and you've got to work anyway. I mean, look, you're going to go for eight hours or 10 hours, depending on your job. You might as well make those 10 hours the best 10 hours of your day because you've got to do it. Now you can choose to leave, but if you're going to go to work, then go to work with every fiber of your being and every ounce of passion you have 
because you're going to love it. The day's going to go more quickly. Things are going to happen. Magical things happen. This is the wizard, right? The wizard flows and magic happens. And I know it sounds a bit woo-woo and I'm not a woo-woo guy, but an archetype is an energy. And that wizard energy is just flowing with what is and making magic occur wherever you go through your, you know, not waiting to take it, giving it without thinking you need anything back. You know, so those cow costume people, I didn't want anything from them. When they left, I never spoke to them again. But mm. I think for the rest of their life, they're going to talk about, oh, come on. this stranger came up to us and invited us to his home. We had this beautiful meal and we bathed in one of the most beautiful bathrooms we've ever been in, which you know what it's like. And that was it, right? Yeah. That's a long, long answer to a short question. <laughs> no, it's, it's awesome. It's great because I, I, I'm really curious, like the magician flowing energy, when you are having a knot of fear and you're in a, a foreign country dressed inappropriately and you don't even know that yet, a lot of people, David, when they are afraid, they become paralyzed and they don't move. Yeah. Like even that, when you're just describing living in the hotel and cleaning the rooms, like people become paralyzed with I, I don't have money for tomorrow, right? Whereas I get that for you, you, you kind of like flow with that. So what would you tell someone who's feeling a little paralyzed by their fears? Well, you got to notice what you think about, right? So par paralysis is a byproduct of thoughts, right? So thoughts lead to feelings, feelings lead to actions, action leads to results. So if you don't like the results in your life, regardless of what they are, right? Um, so if you don't like your, you know, your body, then, you know, you go back to what are you thinking about? What are you feeling? What actions are you taking? Right. Probably you're not thinking great thoughts. So you're not feeling great. So you're eating poorly or you're not exercising. That's the action you're not taking. The result is you don't love what you see in the mirror. Right. So that would be an example of that. So, you know, so paralysis does come down to the thought process and the thoughts come from environment. So what environment are you creating? And I think that I get to create my environment all the time. It's never by chance. If I don't like it, I can get up and move out of it or walk away from it. I can choose to leave it. But I'm always hyper aware of the environments that I create. So that's why you, you, you mentioned about staying up late. Like I, I throw a lot of parties and because I love, I love watching people have a great time. But then I can, I can create an environment that helps people think or helps me really think more beautiful thoughts, more, more awareness which allows me to feel great when I'm feeling great to take the actions. Cause I look at the results, the results are like immediate feedback from the universe or from God or for whatever you believe in. But so the feedback is, you know, I'm not happy or my bank account's empty. Well, what actions am I taking? Well, I'm obviously taking crappy actions to get, you know, no money or I'm my actions. I'm overspending and under earning whatever that is, but there's an action that creates the results. Go back one step, the feeling, what am I feeling? Well, I'm feeling that when I shop, I'm, you know, what's that? Uh, retail therapy, <laughs> right? <laughs> when I, when I buy things, I feel better. Right. And then you go back and say, what are you thinking about? Right. Well, I just, I'm not loving who I am. I'm not loving what I'm showing up. You know, I'm unhappy or I'm in a crappy relationship. So you go back to the environment. And so I think when we're, I, this is a code, the process of manifestation. And so I always say, well, if the results give you immediate feedback. Then if you don't like the results, then go back to the environment and go back to the thoughts and feelings and then just change the actions. So paralysis is something is when you're stuck in those negative thoughts and you're stuck in an environment. And typically you could be the problem, you know, because often we look out and it's easy to blame or justify or complain, but it's easy to blame. Oh, yeah, it's because I'm in a crappy relationship that I, you know, that, you know, oh, my, oh, my husband's this or my wife's that, right? It's easy to say that. But then, you know, maybe you're the problem. Right, because mm -hmm. you know, if you resign yourself to behaving a certain way around a certain person, then you may be the one creating the energy that it's actually the thing that you're not liking. You're part of the equation, 
So if you raise your energy up and you raise your thought pro profile up, and then what's going to happen is certain energies won't want to be around you. Because you're, people say this to me all the time, Sarah. They say, oh, God, are you always so happy? Why are you always so happy? Like happy is a disease. And it's that I choose to be happy. I mean, I wake up happy. I mean, typically, I'm not, not that I have bad days. I mean, I fight with my girlfriend and things happen like that. It's, but I'm saying, I would say 99.9% .9 of the time, I choose happiness over anything else. And, 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 and so because I choose happiness, I'm hyper aware of the environments I create and how I think and how I feel and the actions I'm willing to take. And then, of course, the results, they just flow in because I'm constantly in a, in a state of gratitude as well. I'm in, in supremely grateful. People always ask me about my life. I say, I just feel blessed. I feel blessed to live this life. I don't feel like, you know, life owes me something. I feel that I still contribute to every single person I meet whenever I meet them, whether it's with a smile or a compliment. I'm all, in fact, listen to this. I, I, I'm in Tasmania right now and I arrived in Tasmania and the guy that picks me up from the airport, he's this young kid. He's only 31 and he owns three vehicles, really high-end vehicles like Mercedes and Audi and he owns a Tesla. You know, he's just this young kid and, um, but he's hardworking and shows up in an impeccable black suit and we get chatting and, uh, like he, he, he has to go back to the airport, pick someone up. I said, why don't you come and pick me up? We'll, uh, we'll go for a game of golf uh, or to the golf, to the driving range. And I just arrived. I mean, I just arrived here. So here he is. And I, I'll send you a photograph of it. He's, he's in a black suit on the driving range with me. And I, and I said, hey, just come, <laughs> come, use my, come use my clubs. And here he is in a black suit and black sunglasses. Right. And he's like, and in the end, I end up buying a second basket of bulls because he's like a little bit like, oh, yeah, I'll just hit a couple. In the end, he, he probably hit 80. You know, and then we had a little competition at the end, you know, closest to. But there you go. So arriving in the airport, right, this complete stranger, and suddenly we're playing golf. Don't tell me that he's not going to be thinking about that. He's, he's already sent the photographs to his mates. I know that because he told me he's going to. Right? And it's just like, well, you know, that's a normal limousine ride from the airport to here. Or can it be something magical because you choose to make it magical, right? And you choose to invite them in. Because he could have sat in the car and waited for me or he could have dropped me off. And I'm saying, why don't you just come play? Come on, let's go. And there he is, right? So, David, I think what I'm really getting in this conversation is that life is one of, of your choosing and that we all have that same opportunity to choose our environment and who you've always, you know, this podcast is really about bringing people, the mentors that Nat and I have had in our life, like people. And the reason why I use the word mentor with you, because it's friendship, but the mentorship has been you can be a teacher and a trainer and be completely aligned and authentic in your life. Like that was the mentorship I needed when you walked into my life. And this is why I always talk to people about this is the best trainer I know. And the reason is because my experience had often been one of, wow, people are one way on the stage and another way off the stage. And I was really, yeah, I just couldn't like kind of vibe with that. I didn't get how to, deal with that and then I met you and I got that you can actually be yourself all the time and that that can be successful and that can inspire people and you know when you say no story no problem the irony is that every story every opportunity um, and so I just want to thank you I know it feels a little bit like we're just jumping out because if you know David there's about a thousand more stories and opportunities. So I just want to thank you for being willing to spend time with us. Um, you know, I know you could be at the golf range with the guy in the suit, but instead here we are. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome.
Thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community at bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal and participate in weekly lives found only in our private group. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review. Thanks.